Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hey, cold open from uh, Hank and John here, just to let you know that it is the holiday season. It's the gift giving season. And Hank and I are going on tour. Mm. It's a great gift for you or your friends or loved ones. I don't want to prescribe who you give gifts to. Just know that if you live in St. Petersburg, Florida, Raleigh, North Carolina, or Atlanta, Georgia, we will be in your town on tour with the Anthropocene Reviewed and Dear Hank and John in January. Tickets at hankandjohn.com slash appearances, or just go to hankandjohn.com. And you can click on a thing when you get there. You can click on a thing when you get there. All right, John, do you want to make a podcast? Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. do you know how old Santa Claus is? How old is Santa Claus? He's, he's 1,749 years old. Wow. And do you know when he's going to turn 1,750? When? On his birthday, John. No, I refuse to accept that as a joke. <laughs> I don't acknowledge it. No one knows when Santa Claus's birthday is, so that's as good as I can do. That's the, the most, literally the most accurate answer. It wasn't a joke. It was just the accurate answer. Oh, well, in that sense, I appreciate it. Hank, I'm very excited. As you know, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> Dear Hank and John. All right. That's a good, that's a great Patreon uh, handle. Anyway, we have a Patreon. On that Patreon, one of the terrible perks that you can get is this really bad podcast we make every week just for our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. It's called This Week in Ryan's, but it hasn't been about people named Ryan in like seven months. So we're finally rebranding it to This Week in Worries, which is the kind of... <laughs> It's the kind of podcast topic I can really get behind because I have a, I have I definitely have a new worry every week. And so every week we'll be discussing our worries of the week as well as anything else that comes up. I think there's like an etymology section. It's like a five or ten minute podcast. You can get it at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Mm-hmm. We don't spend any of that money. It goes to complexly to support Crash Course and SciShow or other uh, educational video projects. But uh, yeah, that's I just I wanted to say that. Right. Now we can go on to answering questions from our listeners. I am also excited. We're, we're going to try to bring a little bit of joy in and we're also going to... Oh, it's going to be a very funny this week in worries, yeah. just to be clear. Our initial idea is to do the etymology of 
of the thing we are most worried about every week. Yeah. And last week we did the etymology of the word worry, which turns out as a fascinating, fascinating. history. It involves ropes and mm-hmm. uh, a feeling of strangulation, mm-hmm. oh, which is sort of like <laughs> the emotion of 2019. But Hank, it's coming to an end. 2019 is coming to an end. What does 2020 hold? Oh, boy. Who knows what kind of wonderful surprises? No, oh my God. This first question comes from Huck who asks, Dear Hank and John, is it okay to go back to your house that you used to live in and ask the new owners who you don't know if you could walk through it? If so, what nope that you can't, Huck? I'm sorry. I don't think you can. I understand the urge to do this, like the house Mm -hmm. that Hank and I grew up in in Orlando. Mm -hmm. It would be really cool for me to walk through it, and probably the owners would be fine with it. I'm just telling you that I personally wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because... Here's the thing, Huck, both literally and figuratively, you can't go home again. Right. And the closest you can get is when your old house comes up for sale and they put all the pictures yes. on the internet, which is yes. great. It's wonderful. And you go you, to Zillow.com and you look at all of the pictures and yeah. then you think, if you're like me, you think, maybe I'll just buy that house and I'll restore it to exactly what it looked like in 1984 and I'll go there once a year on my birthday and walk around my home. That's right. Other people can't have this. It's mine. Yeah. So I'm going to be a part of the housing crisis by owning a house that no one lives in. What'd you do with your money, John? I bought a house in Orlando, Florida that's only for me and only on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Does it still have a giant radio transmission tower in the backyard? Probably not. That was that was probably a bit of a safety violation. That was definitely the highlight of our childhood home was that our next door neighbor had a 200 foot tall radio tower. It was huge. And I don't like I don't remember thinking that this was as big of a deal at the time. But at one point, the top of the 200-foot-tall radio tower fell off. It did break off. And landed. It went yeah. through the screen of our swimming pool and into the pool. It did. Where we could have been swimming. Yeah, but we weren't. We weren't. And, like, if you're going to die, like which you are, you might as well get impaled by a, the top of a radio tower while swimming. Like, that's amazing. I, I liked the first half of that sentence a lot. And I disliked the second half of the sentence tremendously. I agree. Never have I, has my opinion on a sentence changed more than in the course of that sentence, because you are going to die. Mm -hmm. But the idea that it is a good death (laughs) to be impaled by a radio tower in a swimming pool in Orlando, Florida. Right. That, Hank, that is in the bottom 1% of all possible deaths. Yeah, but like at least you get a Wikipedia page. Maybe you don't. Yeah, but you're just your Wikipedia page is just list of people who died via impaling of radio towers in Orlando, Florida. And it's yeah. like 42 people long. You're not even the star of the list. <laughs> that was very weird. What were their names? Oh, what were their names? Was it like... They're definitely dead. Yeah, they were old then. Because they were like 130 (laughs) at the time. What were their names? And I remember, like, the the sort of mythos around the tower was that he worked (sighs) in the orange groves, and she wanted to, like, talk to him, and so they had, like, a radio that they could talk back and forth with, like cell phones, but in the 60s. Hold on for one second. I gotta gotta call mom. Where'd you go, John? He left me. She didn't pick up, but I'll let you know if she calls back. I got to remember those people's names. It's, was it n- That is correct. 
oh my God, where did that come from? How does my brain contain that information? And I haven't accessed it in 32 years it's and I couldn't access it until there. I called mom and she didn't answer. <laughs> oh, you called mom. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's what, oh, did you not notice that I put you on hold for like two minutes? No, I had no idea where you went. You just disappeared. <laughs> I said, hold I, on, I I'm going to call mom. And no, then I put you all on I heard you mom. say was hold on, and then and then you disappeared. Well, I was calling mom, but she didn't answer. But it doesn't matter because it was definitely the family. Anyway, rest in peace. I think we answered the question, Huck, don't go home. Don't you can't go, go home. You can't go Whatever home you do, don't <laughs> go home. This next question comes from Zainab, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been watching uh, Journey to the Microcosmos and listening to The Anthropocene Reviewed, and I was wondering, how do you guys do your research? Do you just do it yourselves, or do other people do it for you? Do you read books or just use the internet? Isn't it super time-consuming to research all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's super time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, John does all, all of the Anthropocene reviewed by himself, which is super time consuming. And I can tell you that because I see the YouTube videos he watches and you spend a lot of time researching a single topic, John. I do. I also I do usually read books as well as using the Internet. I mean, the Internet's an amazing resource, but mm -hmm. the truth is the vast majority of the world's information isn't on it or at least isn't on my Internet. Like I can right. go to the library and access all kinds of databases that mm -hmm. I can learn so much more from. So, for instance, writing this most recent episode about Auld Lang Syne, I had to learn about Robert Burns and this friendship that he had with this uh, older woman who I ended up making a Vlogbrothers video about. Um, and in that process, I started to think like, oh, well, well, do what do we know about where Robert Burns got the poem from? And then I, I fell down a rabbit hole and I'm reading these biographies of Robert Burns and, you know, going to the mm -hmm. library and looking stuff up. But like for me, that is the joy. Like I love I love writing and I and I love trying to distill, you know, what, what I've learned or what I'm thinking about into sentences. But for me, the real joy of it is like the thought that just over the next hill might be some amazing fact. Yeah. And there so often is like that's the thing. You are rewarded. Yeah. You, it, it's like a kind of sport where, you know, if, if you play long enough, you will score a goal and that feels really good. There's nothing like diving into a well-researched book to be like, oh, this is all so much weirder and cooler than I thought. Yeah. So, you know, in, in prepping for starting Journey to the Microcosmos, I read a couple of books, Microbe Hunters, which is an older book. It's several decades old. I think it came out in the 60s, maybe. And it's just a look at, you know, the the deep history of these people who were first realizing that this other world existed beneath our notice, that like organisms didn't stop beyond where our perception stopped and how, you know, sort of universe changing that was and also how it was kind of not accepted for a long time. And people were like, this doesn't make any sense that that's not an actual living thing. That's just a piece of dust doing dust things. Right. But I do have lots of help uh, with Microcosmos, especially, which is outlined by James, who does all of the video parts. And then Deboki, who also works on Dear Hank and John, also works on Tangents, works on a ton of stuff for us, who, who sort of like does the, the deeper research to make sure we don't get stuff wrong and also writes a lot of the episodes. Yeah, I've written all of the Anthropocene Reviewed, not because I think I'm the only person who can write it, but because it is such a source of pleasure for me and because mm -hmm. it gives me a way to do something on my terms and and without uh, too much interference from like broader 
internet culture, yeah. which is really important for me, for my brain. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, I just love it. I think one of the things that people don't understand about learning until they get the bug is how good it feels to find the thing that you've been looking for that you didn't know you were looking for, Mm -hmm. that piece of information that changes the way you understand the world or confirms something that you thought but you didn't have much evidence for. Mm -hmm. It's it's so fun to find those little moments, uh, Mm -hmm. to find the places where like what you're interested in meets up with a larger human story or with your own human experience or whatever. Like I that that is what I'm what I really crave when I'm researching and like it makes learning fun. Yeah. Ralph. Ralph? Mom just texted me. <laughs> it's Ralph. It's Ralph. <laughs> it was still in her head, too, just sitting around in there. Yep. This next question comes from Echo, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do you interrupt each other so well and efficiently, but also frequently when you talk and want to move on from certain topics? Whenever I'm with friends, I can never find the proper moment to interject, and most of the time, one or two friends will talk endlessly without pause, and when I do interject, I do it abruptly, and then I apologize for interrupting, and then I talk super fast so that no one can interrupt me. I can never understand how others find ways to creep into conversation smoothly forever a good listener echo boy i let first i want to make it very clear that john and i do not talk as efficiently and smoothly and without interruption as it comes out sounding after tuna gets his marvelous fingers on it that is correct you should hear a real conversation between us. It's absolute. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Tuna, put in a bit here where it's just complete, like some of the stuff you cut out. And if you know you what is interesting like, and cool, no ugh, matter what. We can't build Sorry, everything. F- and if you can't, then. Right now, Hank, just so you know, in the background, I'm trying to figure out what happened to Ralph. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> is, is, is he okay? Probably not. And. Smash cut to right now. It has genuinely only been a couple oh of minutes. God. Oh, oh, God. What question were we answering? Oh, man. Mom needs to stop texting you. Oh, I don't know. We went so far off the rails. We're so far off the rails. This end of the year spectacular yeah. has turned into Hank and John <laughs> Google someone they met three times 35 years ago. Ah, well, if it's it, telling me anything, it's that s- small interactions that we have in people with people in our lives have bigger impacts than we think. All right. This next question comes from Nina because we need to get <laughs> out <laughs> of the rabbit hole. Yeah. This, however, has been a nice exploration of why Hank and I like research and how it happens. Yeah. Nina writes, Dear John and Hank, can you unpickle a pickle? <laughs> what? Like... Nina, no. You know, I actually, I looked it up. I looked it up because I thought, why not look it up? Because I love doing research. Yeah. And you know what I found is that it's very hard to unpickle a pickle, probably impossible, because it's not just a chemical process. It's actually a biological one. Yeah. It's a process of fermentation. And so like the really like marvelous things that microorganisms do happens to your pickle. It would be very difficult to remove the vinegar and the lactic acid that from the pickle. You, But after the end of that process, you would not have a cucumber again. You would have a mushy piece of trash. I have great news for you though, Nina. You, If you have a pickle and you don't, and you want a cucumber, 
Just go to the store and get a cucumber. They're available extraordinarily inexpensively. They cost less than pickles. Yes, because they are far less complicated to create. Like I've <laughs> grown a lot of cucumbers and I've made a few pickles. Yeah. And just based on my own gardening experience, all all vegetables grown in my garden are worth at least $7. Mm-hmm. That's just how much labor it takes me to create them. I'd say a cucumber is worth about seven fifty. Mm-hmm. A pickle is worth like $900. <laughs> Yeah. Homemade pickles, man. Uh, we have a pickle firkin that was gif- gifted to us. It's uh, a device mm-hmm. that you it is used in the process of making pickles. Yeah. And the only reason I'm keeping this pickle firkin is around is because I really like hearing Oren say pickle firkin. Well, I mean, we, it's pretty easy to pickle a pickle. You know, like we pickle all kinds of vegetables, but we pickle them in ways that like we eat them right away. You right. know, not like uh, pickle and can like you do with pickled pig's feet or mm-hmm. with like pickles right. that you buy in the store. Right. That seems very complicated and hard. Yeah. Well, and, and, and partially because you have to sort of manage the microbiome of the of the pickle container so that it does not become poison, which is a very important part. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I don't uh, engage in canning. Yes. Because I don't trust myself not to die of botulism. This next question comes from Katie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my chemistry class holds a Rice Krispie sculpture making contest every year. Oh, good. I guess you make a ton of Rice Krispie treats and then mold them into something. Since the winner is voted by teachers, I have absolutely no clue what to build. What do teachers like? Also, if my team wins, we get free test points and my GPA really depends on this. What do I build? <laughs> wow. That's already in this episode of Dear Hank and John, we've learned that you can learn anything about anyone. So you're just going to have yep. to go deep in the rabbit hole on your teachers exactly. and, then, and find out what kind of people they are. Yep. And if they find out that they're sort of like really into meta stuff, you like see their Twitter and they're like really into memes, you could like make some memes or you could make a your Rice Krispie a treat into a giant Rice Krispie mm-hmm. uh, if they like really like that kind of that kind of humor. Mm-hmm. You just got to really get deep on on these people, like know them very deeply. I take it all back and also don't know if I should say this. Hank, in my day, when I was when I was coming up, mm-hmm. it was difficult to find information about people on the internet. You know, yep. you had to have access to certain databases that not all people were supposed to have access to. And you had to uh you had to be like a reasonably good researcher. You had to be a private investigator. Yeah. Yeah. To some extent you had to pay money. You had to have access to tools that not everyone had access to. Yeah. You and I didn't even stop making the pod. <laughs> Then again, if somebody Googled me, they would be able to piece together quite a bit of my life as well. (laughs) Yeah. John, do you think that in another five years or so, Google can just make a Draw My Life video for you? It just knows everything about you. And it's just oh. like, I'm just going to sketch this person's whole life out. And you're like, wow. And there will be a ton neat. of things that you forgot, too. So oh, you'll be course. like, oh, right. Yeah, no, that is what we called our little bicycle gang when I was nine. Oh, that's cute. It's the Merritt <laughs> Park Marauders. Really? Yeah. We wore plastic visors instead of helmets because it was the 80s. <laughs> And you were stockbrokers or <laughs> poker players. Like who else wears yeah, plastic the, visors? The plastic. You want to talk about an item of clothing. Mm-hmm. And I know that this has completely ceased to be a podcast in which we, which we answer questions from our listeners. But uh-huh. you want to talk about an item of clothing that like literally no longer exists. The plastic visor. Uh, it's on sale at Amazon for $6.99. For one or for like 30 <laughs> 
<laughs> great point. Great point for, for one. Uh, well, that is a horrible deal. And first off, that's not even a plastic visor. That is not what I mean at all. I mean a rigid. No, you're right. This is just a costume. Get, there is yeah. one. It's $9.50. Shut the front door. I'm not paying $9.50 <laughs> for a plastic visor. <laughs> I know how much those things cost. This one's $15. My God, I guess we got out of the plastic visor business because nobody could afford it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, the purpose of the green eye shade, John, at which I have now done some research on, uh -huh. is that uh, for people who are engaged in vision-intensive, detail-oriented occupations, it lessens eye strain uh, that was caused by early incandescent lights and candles, which tended oh. to, to be harsh and bright. So, yeah, but just to be clear, this was an opaque, plastic, rigid visor. Oh, yours wasn't see-through at all. God, no. We wrote with our own puff paint, Merritt Park Marauders, on the visor part of the visor, because that's how you knew that we were in a bike gang. John, I can't wait for you to dress up like you this Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, here's one with a 12-pack. Boom, ba-da-doom, ba-da-doom, we're back in business. This should not be possible. Yeah, we are living We are living in strange times, Yeah, and that is the end of the sentence. Hey, I have an idea. Yeah. What if we make an advice podcast instead okay. of making a podcast where Hank and John learn how much they can learn from Google? Absolutely. This next question comes from Cambria, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I can I still enjoy religious Christmas music if I am an atheist? Or any religious music, for that matter. I like it so much, even though it means nothing to me. Is that okay? My name is Latin for Wales. Yeah, Cambria. John, yes. Also, I will say that this music does not mean nothing to you. Right. It doesn't mean the same thing as it means to other people, but you enjoy it, and that is meaning in itself. So I, I will counter you on that. But yes, I still enjoy religious music a lot because for a long time, all music was religious. Not or a all. lot of it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, of course you can. This is one of the weirdnesses of 21st century life, I think, that mm -hmm. people feel like they need to be so firmly in one camp or another yeah. and that like somehow they're betraying their camp by liking something from the other camp or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like Silent Night's a great song. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you actually think that uh, Jesus, the son of God, was born in a manger on Christmas night has nothing to do with whether Silent Night is a good song. Yeah. In the same way, whether or not you actually think that Steve Harwell is not the sharpest tool in the shed, All Star <laughs> is a great song. That's maybe a little bit different from that. But I, I also think... No, it's basically the same. Okay. I, I also think that you can enjoy many of the ideas of religious traditions without yes. enjoying all, like, without, like, believing in all of the structure around them. And if you can't, then, like, ugh, you can't build everything from scratch every life. Like, we have to look to what we learned in the past, and you don't have to. You can, but you don't have to take, like, everything from one place. You can, you know, you can pick to some extent. You, you don't have to believe in God to think that the idea of a god or or a godlike creature being born to poor parents who are living away from their home and who are not welcomed into uh, the community where they find themselves, whether or not like you, you believe in God is irrelevant to whether or not that story is interesting. 
Yeah. There are lots of people who believe in God who, who don't get, in my opinion, what is interesting about the story. Yeah. What, what was unusual was that that person would be born a God mm -hmm. in those circumstances. Yeah. I understand that some people have bad feelings about institutions and so they want to sort of like run away. And like that's, you know, I completely understand. But for me as a secular person, like there's a lot that's really interesting about these stories. And also like they inform so much of the history of, you know, like the last 2000 years of the history of the planet. And so I think that there's a lot of value actually in looking at those things and appreciating them. Like there's good stories here. And there's good music here. Our next question comes from Jenny, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do you acknowledge your faults without becoming consumed by them? Also, how do you sell yourself? Really just three dogs in a trench coat, Jenny. Well, it's very difficult to uh, sell yourself when you're three dogs in a trench coat, unless somebody's looking to buy three dogs in a trench coat, which I may be in the market. <laughs> that sounds pretty cute. I think that like acknowledging your faults like our faults are in flux. And so I think part of it is like recognizing my mistakes, recognizing like my patterns of, mis of, of mistakes that I've made and trying to correct that pattern, I think is really important part of, of acknowledging my faults. Right, like human nature isn't static and our individual natures aren't static, right? Like I'm always going to be an anxious person. I'm often going to come at a problem from a place of fear mm -hmm. that's not likely to like fundamentally change about me. But my level of understanding of that changes and my ability to reshape my behavior because I am more aware of that changes. And I like I think that's a big part of how to not sort of like be consumed by your you know, your mistakes is to like recognize that they are they are not something that is necessarily intrinsic to you. And if they are, then like there is something there are ways to like be better inside of the conditions you live in. And second, how do you sell yourself? Uh, it does come from a place of confidence, like you like figuring out what are the things that you bring and actually believing it is very hard especially early on in a career when you're really not sure of all those things. So I think a, a good a good way to sell yourself is to, you know, acknowledge your strengths and build your strengths because that is again not something that is intrinsic to you. Your strengths are going to change are going to change as you go through your life and I'll tell you when you're 40 years old you're going to be less good at dancing than you are as a younger person almost definitely. Uh, it hurts more, that's for sure. But but you're going to get better at a lot of things. There you in, go. In fact, I, I, my guess is if if it tracks with the uh, experience of most people I know, you get better at more things as you get older. Yeah. You also have to come at these conversations from a place of really understanding that you are valuable as a person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us don't feel that way a lot of the time. I know I don't feel that way a lot of the time. But every human life has value. And so I think really coming to a place where you understand that you're a person of value, you're a person who's worthy of being in conversations of like, you know, being in the room where it matters or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a different room for every person. And I think that we often think that it's the same room for every person. And like, you, and one weakness I had that I, I don't have anymore is that I'm much better at, at understanding that different people have different rooms, though not perfect at it, because of course, I only have the one set of eyeballs to look through. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Hank's set of eyeballs. <laughs> it's the only one he has. This podcast is also brought to you by Mr. and Mrs. 
Mrs. Radio Tower. Mr. and Mrs. Radio Tower, an accident waiting to happen. Literally, until it was just an accident that had happened. Yeah. Uh, of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by looking uh, up your old home on Realtor.com. Looking up your old home on Realtor.com. That's okay. It's when you go further down the rabbit hole that it gets a little weird. It has become mistakes. And this podcast is brought to you by the Green Eye Shade. Visors, why not? Just put some puff paint on those boys and be one of the Merritt Park Marauders. Please, please, please wear a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Under, on top of your eye shade. No, (laughs) just wear a helmet. It comes with a visor. That's the crazy thing. We, we put items on our heads. We just. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. Didn't put helmets on our heads. <laughs> this next question comes from Anonymous, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my family and I have found a tree we like for Christmas. My sister and I were looking through its online reviews. What? What? Wait. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I'm confused. And all of them were good, except for one that said this tree was haunted and didn't elaborate. My question is, should we still get the tree? Will the tree continue to haunt us after we take it down? Thank you, a concerned tree buyer. I may not understand how this works. I assume that this tree, I assume, is is a a fake tree. Yeah. It is a a tree pre-lit. Because you can't buy real trees online, can you? Also, uh, it would be very much unproductive to review the tree you purchased because of how every tree is beautiful and unique. Yes. They're like trees in that way. So this is an artificial tree Mm -hmm. that everyone says is good, except for one person who's clearly a troll who says that it's haunted. No, 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 no. Oh. Here's the situation, John. Okay. You don't know what has haunted this tree. Yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. So when, when people die, they haunt houses. They haunt familiar places. Mm-hmm. When trees die, they haunt trees. And this was this is a, a artificial tree, a tree 
died with some unfinished business. I'm not going to speculate mm-hmm. on what that was. And the tree spirit moved into this fake tree so that it could try and finish, like get all of its unfinished business done, whatever that is. Maybe it just really wanted to be a Christmas tree and it just got too big and they just let it grow and then it lived a normal lifespan, but it wanted to be a Christmas tree. And that now it is finishing its business in your home. And it's sort of like a responsibility. And I, this is something that is maybe not known widely, but artificial tree companies actually do their best to imbue their trees with the souls of the dead. Yeah, I think they use a uh, kind of like a an, a tree version of a of an IV drip. Right. Yeah, you just sort of like hook them up to each other and uh there's a Oculus Rift involved. It's very weird. So, the long story short is you need to take this artificial tree home. Mm-hmm. You need to listen to it closely because trees do not speak our language and they do not speak loudly. You need to listen to this artificial tree closely. And over time, having this tree in your home, you will come to understand what mission the tree who is haunting it needs to fulfill. Then you will fulfill that mission and then you will write a memoir about the experience. Maybe with the help of the tree. Yeah. Kill it and turn it into paper. That wasn't where I was going, but I like it. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, several people wrote in with versions of this question, but Clara mm-hmm. wrote in with the simplest version of this question. <laughs> she wrote, Dear John and Hank, what dot 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 are fudge rounds? Oh, boy. Uh, and it occurs to me that... If you don't know what a fudge round is, and you uh-huh. heard our previous <laughs> podcast where we waxed poetic about fudge rounds for like 30 minutes, uh-huh. you would likely be extremely confused because it sounds potentially scatological. Uh-huh. It, I yeah. mean, who knows what it could be? The other thing, well, also, like, there's no fudge in a fudge round. Of course and not. And so you might think to yourself, oh, a fudge round, this must be something that's very good and del- and like high quality. It is n- it is not that as a it is a 25 cent cookie that you can get at gas stations basically. It, it is not a cookie. It's and... two soft cakey brownie cookie things mm, no, with no, some fluffy no, chocolate no. mousse in between them. My heart is broken. I have almost never been so disappointed in you. What do you, what, how do you do it then? What do you think it is? A fudge round mm-hmm. is a sandwich <laughs> in which the two pieces of uh-huh. bread okay. are chocolate cake uh-huh. and the filling of the sandwich yeah. is chocolate frosting. Mm. Now, there are, there's more details. It's, I, but it's more of a frosting than an icing. Can I tell you something that Alice said about my mustache after I shaved it after having it for eight days because of the Project for Awesome? Yeah, please. I came in to read her a story. Uh Uh-huh. And she said, this is a direct quote. I, I wrote it to Sarah to make sure I got everything right. And she said, finally, your mustache is gone. Why did you have to have it? And I said, it was for charity to raise money. And Alice said, there's other ways. <laughs> what? What does this have to do with fudge rounds? Nothing. I just was transitioning out of fudge rounds into the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon before I go buy a fudge round. Hank. Yes. Hank. Yes. Hank. Yes. Do you hear the sleigh bells ringing? Do you hear the reindeer a prattering, singing the songs of angry men like that? It must be that most magical time of the year, the late December run that AFC Wimbledon goes on 
it seems like every time mm-hmm. we're doing terribly. Yep. And then suddenly in December, the players look at each other and they say, you know what we could do? Win football games. Score goals. And they're like, oh my God. What if we, sco- what if we tried a thing where we scored more goals than the other team scored? Mm-hmm. And then all the players are like, it's a stark departure from uh, our strategy earlier this season, but it could be good. AFC Wimbledon have now won or tied three consecutive games. We just beat Doncaster this weekend, two to one. And like we won the game. Usually when we win a game, I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Mm -hmm. We won the game. We had 33% possession, which isn't a ton. No. We had uh, 61% pass accuracy. Again, not a ton. Uh, We had far fewer shots on target, but we won the game. We won it two to one. We did, it was a little bit, we we did squeak it out a little bit, but we won a football game (laughs) and suddenly AFC Wimbledon are three entire points clear of the relegation zone, which is not amazing. No, that's not a lot. But it's, I mean, it's better than than we've been. Mm-hmm. We're in 19th. There is a team below us that's also not in the relegation zone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's been a while Never since I could say that. A solid team of buffer. Yeah. Oh, God. Why did, you, why did you root for the most stressful team? I don't know. But AFC Wimbledon has finished within one point or two points of relegation for like three consecutive years. Yeah. It would be I remember. so nice just to finish 14th. So uh, that form is probably this year going to be good enough mm-hmm. to get us safe and another season in League One. I mean, I'm not feeling like overly optimistic, but no. it's fun for now. Well, in this week's news from Mars, scientists have mapped out the frozen water buried beneath the planet's surface. Uh, it's part of a paper published recently in Geophysical Research Letters, and the authors used satellite data from NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which has been doing amazing work for a long time, and Mars Odyssey Orbiter based on equipment that are able to detect water, but also using heat-sensitive instruments. The heat-sensing data uses the fact that ice conducts heat better than the rocks around it. No. So you can actually figure out where the ice is and how deep it's buried based on the effect it has on temperature measurements. So we've now got an underground map of where water is on Mars. And it was very cool. I read about this and it was cool that NASA kind of released this publicly so that everybody in the world can start to think like, okay, well, that makes maybe it means that we should uh, try to have the first Mars people here. Right. Or maybe here. Yeah. That's and for clarity. That's not something that's like special about NASA. All space agencies do that right now because we kind of imagine this as a a human endeavor rather than one that is national pride in it. But yeah. And I also think it's cool that now we have this new map of Mars. Like Mm -hmm. that is wild. If you think about it, it's been a while since we started to have like newly detailed maps of places. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And there's a lot more solar system to explore. So there's lots of cool things to see coming up. You know, actually, that reminds me, Hank, that next week we're going to mm-hmm. do things a little differently. It's mm-hmm. it's the last pod of the t- 20 teens. Mm-hmm. And so Hank and I are going to share with you and each other some of our favorites 
of the, this decade. If you want to know any of our particular favorites, you can send me a message on Twitter. If you want to hear about our favorite socks of the decade or our favorite uh, seltzer waters or our favorite um, Star Wars movies, you can go specific, you can go broad. Uh, we'll take it on and we'll talk about those things instead of doing advice just to take a look back, talk a little bit about what's happened and where we're at and just you know, appreciate the world a little bit. Yeah. Well, thanks for podding with me, Hank. Hey, thanks. Uh, it was a great time. This podcast is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson, edited by Joseph Tunamedish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.